Welcome to the Morning Ritual Podcast, meditations and conversations to set the tone for your day. I'm your host, Lily Balch, and today we have Ashley Niece on the podcast. So Ashley is a breathwork teacher, and she is the author of two books, How to Breathe and Permission to Rest. She has spent over a decade working at the intersection of embodiment, transformation, and renewal. I am so excited to dive into conversation with Ashley as I certainly need that reminder, that permission to rest, especially these days. So Ashley, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lily. I am really looking forward to being in conversation with you. Awesome. So I'm going to start by reading something from the the beginning of your book, Permission to Rest, to kind of set the overall tone for our conversation and to give the listener just a little, um, a little dip of the toe into your work. So here we go. When we practice resting, we allow ourselves to follow an organic rhythm that has the power to heal, to restore, and to liberate us from the oppression of overwork and constant productivity of our culture. When we practice resting, we engage in revolutionary acts that create social and environmental changes, rippling out to shift all aspects of life. Yet most of us will say on any given day that we simply cannot take the time to rest. I get it. I've been there. And this right away makes me curious what your journey, Ashley, was to this this place when you say, I get it, I've been there. And, you know, I have a lot to to dive into with you today, so I don't want to spend the whole time kind of hearing your journey, but I definitely want the listeners to get a little background information on you, where you were, where you are now, and and sort of the why behind the work that you do. Would you mind diving into that? Mm, I really appreciate uh, the question, and I love that you started there. It's always so interesting as an author to hear words that I've written read back, and like to hear them um, and your voice was just, it was so grounding. It was the exact kind of anchor <laughs> that I needed today. And, and I love that part of the book too, because it, it's like, there's this little bit of hope and this explanation, but then also like you're saying this lead into my story and, you know, to just keep it really kind of succinct, I will say that I came to resting, which I write about a little bit in the book in a very similar fashion that I came to uh, stopped drinking many years ago. And for me, rest was kind of the last house on the block. I had tried every single thing under the sun to kind of regulate my nervous system and to get me feeling better and to get myself feeling restored. And even with, you know, a decade of breathwork teaching and practice under my belt and meditation and all these things, I was still finding that my nervous system And the way that I was living my life was just always oriented towards urgency. I've been oriented towards busyness. I've been oriented towards always striving for the next thing, whatever that next thing is, and kind of unable to really access deeper states of rest in the present moment. And like many people, you know, 
in so many different spaces, I was in another kind of bout of, you know, diagnosable burnout. And I had a lot of adrenal stuff going on. I was having a lot of memory loss, was having a massive amount of digestive issues and something had to give. (laughs) And, you know, the thing with rest is it was, it was honestly like the last thing I wanted to do. I was like, I'll take another class. I'll take another workshop. I'll find another teacher. I'll, you know, keep doing more research. I'll do anything but rest. And and then it just kept, rest kept coming up in all these different ways. Like I saw an acupuncturist and the acupuncturist was like, okay, the medicine is rest, you know? And then in therapy, I was doing like this trauma renegotiation work that was so intense. And the therapist was like, yeah, the medicine is rest. I just kept hearing it in all these places. And I was like, I'm also a person who once I hear and see things multiple times, I take that as information for me as something that, you know, I should probably follow at this point. And so I followed it. and. I didn't really know how to do it because I, I also had a lot of beliefs that resting should be easy. You know, it's something that our bodies are designed to do, just like breathing or just like getting up out of bed. And I thought, well, why is it so hard for me to rest? And so a lot of the work for me, which is why I feel so strongly that resting is such a deep practice, is that in order to make it a practice, I had to do so much work of you know, uncovering my belief systems around rest, uncovering the programming that I've received about how productive I need to be in order to have any value in the world. And so I really had to just unpack all these layers of my life that I hadn't, it's not that I'd never unpack them, but I didn't really have to unpack them to the degree that I needed to in order to slow down and make those shifts. And so that's, to me, that's also the kind of exciting part and the potency about rest is that it's such an invitation to do deeper layers of work. Mm. And this is so, so, so important because I know many of our listeners, if not all of our listeners can relate to this sense of, of burnout and maybe knowing, being told many times they need to rest and knowing deeply they need to rest, but still finding it really hard to rest and resisting it and maybe um, not wanting to, even though they know they should. And so just so we're all on the same page, can you give us like a definition of rest and what rest looks like, what rest is, what rest isn't? Yeah, I um, I love this question. And, you know, I define rest in the book in a couple of different ways, but the main definition that I've come up with is that it's Rest is a biological imperative and a biological imperative means that it's something that our bodies need, right? It's a necessity for us. And so rest is a biological imperative that then leads to all these different things, right? It leads to more integrity in our lives. It leads to restoration. It leads to deeper creativity, deeper connection. It also leads us to be able to go out into the world and operate from a place of being anchored and being tethered to ourselves and being in connection and you know, the, one of the beautiful things about rest to me too, is that it's not just this practice that we're doing all for ourselves as individuals. It actually benefits the collective. And I think that is one of the, you know, one of the parts of the subtitle is, um, you know, practices for collective care. And so when we're thinking about something as broad as collective care, you know, that work always happens through us individually and what we're doing and resting is such a big part of that. And it's such a deep way to connect to nature and the whole kind of ecosystem of our planet and of each other. So that's the other piece for me is that rest is a deeply, it's a biological imperative. It's also a deeply spiritual practice. And there's so many, you can look across the world and look at 
different religions that look at rest, but also kind of religion aside, it's a way to connect more deeply to ourselves and to each other, right, into the planet. And so that's really what I'm talking about in that kind of secular view of spirituality. But those are the big things. And then, you know, when I started resting myself, I thought that rest was synonymous with sleep. I was like, well, if I'm going to rest, then that means I have to take a nap. Like, that's what resting is. I had no idea that things could be restful. For example, walking through a forest. For example, just taking a few moments to connect with my breath and slow myself down. Just a nice long inhale and a nice soft exhale. I didn't know that resting could be sitting and looking at my window and just noticing the way the light is changing. Like there's so many ways that we can access rest because ultimately what we're looking for in rest is a practice that restores and nourishes us. That's it. Like that's really what we're looking for. And I, like I know a lot of folks who read this book and a lot of my clients have expressed this, have had a lot of confusion about that. I thought, okay, rest is just taking a nap or rest is getting on Netflix or Hulu and just watching like eight hours of TV or rest is scrolling through my phone. And, you know, I get a lot of questions about, well, how do I know if something I'm doing is restful? And my answer is always the same. It's like, how does it make you feel? Like, how does it make you feel? Do you feel refreshed? Do you feel restored? Do you feel calm? Do you feel relaxed when you're doing the thing? Or does it make you agitated? Does it make you like, does it rev up your nervous system, right? Does it make you kind of spin out? So, or does it make you check out, right? I think there's, especially in American culture, like rest is also synonymous with kind of going numb, right? Or checking out. And so those that can feel restful because we're not really doing anything, but also we're in a disassociative state. And so it's really important, especially through the lens of trauma to look at, am I resting or am I checking out? Am I resting or am I numbing? Am I resting or am I avoiding, right? And so that's, again, that kind of aspects of rest that are really important to look at. But essentially, rest is a biological imperative. And the way you know that something is restful is by how it makes your body feel. Mm, I love that. And to me, it gives um, it gives us permission to choose what kind of rest we need in that moment. So you're not saying you have to do this type of rest and that's the ticket. It, you know, you really listen to earlier today, I was saying, I just need to recharge my batteries. And I'm thinking about all the things that are going to help me recharge my batteries. And they're going to be different to what I'm sure recharges your batteries. And another concept, which we talk a lot about on the morning ritual and like in this world of mindfulness is striving versus being. And yes, in life, we have to strive to some extent, but we have to balance that out with being. And when we're in the being quality, it's restful. Our nervous system loves it because we're present. We're able to, yeah, restore ourselves. And this, I don't want to like go necessarily too deep into this tangent because there's other things I want to focus on. But literally right before this interview, I walked into my apartment and my, my partner was listening to his friend's podcast. And his friend is... Um, doing amazing work in like the realm of climate change. And his friend was saying a tree is more valuable dead than alive in the sense of like GDP and economy. And I just was like, oh my God, what a shocking statement. And because of this striving money, money, money culture 
And if we could all practice just being, restoring ourselves, it can have this ripple effect into restoring the planet when we stop thinking a tree is more valuable dead than alive. So I know that's a bit of a tangent. Um, and I want to actually go back and to what we were saying before about why it can be so hard to rest on a personal note. And I was kind of sharing this with you before we started rolling. Um, I made the decision to take a, a break on the podcast for just six weeks, but I've never taken longer than a six or longer than a, like a three week break on the podcast, but I need to recharge these batteries and I need to take a break and I need to, to rest to a deeper level. And the amount of, um, overthinking that went into that decision was wild. Why is it so hard to rest? Why is it so hard to stop? Like, I know the answer personally, but on a broader level, why do you think we find it so hard to rest? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of the reasons why I love meditation is because I feel like it stretches time. So many of us, me included, wish that we had more time in the day. We can feel like we don't have enough time to do all the things we want to do. And one of the best ways to manage our time is to get super clear on what's truly important and make that a priority. I've found therapy to be a super helpful way to define my values and set boundaries. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, super convenient, and you get matched with a therapist to meet your specific wants and needs. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning ritual to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash morning ritual. The morning ritual is sponsored by Recess Mood. One healthier alternative to alcohol after a stressful day is Recess Mood. So Recess Mood is a sparkling water and it's infused with functional ingredients like magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol or the hangover. Podcast listeners get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com TMR. Recess Mood is made with real fruit, and it comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. With only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's a guilt-free way to unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash TMR and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. The Morning Ritual is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals make eating healthier so much easier. These meals are chef-made, they're dietitian approved and delivered right to your door. With Factor, you have over 35 different options a week to choose from. There's no prep, there's no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Just head to factormeals.com TMR50 and use code TMR50 
to get 50% off. That's code TMR50 at factormeals.com slash TMR50 to get 50% off. There's so many reasons. And, you know, one thing that my, one of my old teachers raised to talk about a lot is, you know, especially in, you know, American culture where it's so oriented toward the individual, right? It's like the individual pursuit of whatever the individual pursuit is. And we're missing something so deeply, like we're missing the collective, we're missing that we're interconnected, we're missing that there's this whole, like web of people and we're not meant to do all the like do our lives alone in this way um because it's it's you know it's detrimental to so many different things but really looking at that it's like ray would talk about we have to look at you know ourselves as individuals we have to look at the family systems that we grew up in we have to look in the culture that we grew up in the society you know all these layers and so every layer has its own set of programming right and so whatever culture we grew up in whatever family we grew up in we're picking all that up and so I learned from a very early age that, you know, work is like the holy grail, right? It's like work, work, work. That's how you get your value. That's how you, you know, not just earn income, but just like have value as a human, right? And so that's part of like what you were talking about before. It's like this doing versus being. And so when you, when you grow up in a culture where your doing is so valued, it's valued way over your being, it's hard to make that, like close that gap. It's like, how do you go, oh, my body is worth resting. Like, I don't need to push myself to the point of burnout or push myself to the point of having autoimmune disease or push myself into having like constant IBS or some other digestive issue or headaches or fatigue or whatever it is. And so much of that is in, again, it's the culture, it's the patriarchy. There's so many reasons for that. And so doing the work of like, deprogramming and disengaging is really radical and there's also not a lot of support and <laughs> it's like we again we get praised for how fast we can go how busy we are how much we can produce how many projects this year what are you launching what are you creating what are you doing it's like there's not a lot of praise for hey i'm taking six weeks off hey i'm gonna rest i'm gonna recharge my batteries i'm gonna do what i need to do for myself so that i can show back up to this podcast and just give right? Because I feel like that's what this world is, especially with your podcast, you're giving so much. And so it makes sense that you need to recharge, but that's something that's not as praised as the other. And so it's so, for me, that's been some of the deepest kind of emotional, psychological, spiritual work is to be going against the grain, right? You're literally like, we're going against the like tide of culture. And that is difficult, you know? And there's some days when it's like, yeah, it would be easy just to keep going with the flow. But part of my work in this world is to really look at not going along with the status quo. That's not interesting to me. That's not that I, there's no like aliveness in that for me anywhere. And so to rest and to deeply touch into ourselves, into our humanity, and to be able to get to a place where we can see trees for their aliveness, for their like majesty, for all of the things that they provide for us alive versus as a commodity is a, a complete paradigm shift. It's a complete paradigm shift. And that is, that's what we're being asked to do. That's what we're being called to do. And it is hard. It's really hard, you know? Yeah, it is hard, but it's really important. And 
I'm, I will fully admit that I am a napper. I love naps and I love um, rituals through the day, hence the morning ritual that can help me calm my nervous system and proceed with a bit more intention and bring, yeah, infuse that sense of, of rest, of presence into what I'm doing. And so I say this because years ago, um, when I was in my previous relationship, my name is Lily Balch, LB, or my initials. And my ex, anytime I would nap or take a moment to just like meditate or do restorative yoga or massage my feet or take a bath or any of these gorgeous practices that I love so much, he would say LB, lazy bones. And threw around this like thinking, you know, wrapped in a little bit of humor, but kept throwing this term. Oh my God, you're so lazy. You're so lazy. And years of hearing how lazy I was, you know, it's taken a, a while to, to reclaim the rest and these little practices and these little moments. And thank God I have or I am because they completely changed my life. And I want to kind of pick your brain around, and I think we've answered it already, but when we talk about rest, it can be in, in a small, micro, yet potent practice, right? Or do we need to really remove ourselves from life and go on a retreat for a week? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, definitely, definitely not. We don't have to remove ourselves. And I actually write about this in the end of the book because so many so many people ask me this and they they feel like that. It's like, we feel like we have to make these big strides and to go far away and to like, uh, and sure, those things can be really nice. Like it can be great. And it can be such a privilege to be able to go somewhere for a couple of days and go on a retreat and, you know, have quiet time and have restful time. And those things are wonderful. And, you know, I've been on retreats, I've led retreats and they're beautiful and they're really potent spaces for so many different things. And, you know, the practice, the kind of, Householder's practice or the layperson's practice is to practice daily and to practice in our lives with whatever arises. Right, that is the that is the invitation. And so, for me as a mother of three children under five, it is, you know, I've got a five-year-old, an almost two-year-old, and a four-month-old. I have so many invitations to practice, and believe me, I am I am tired. <laughs> I am tired. My two-year-old has not been sleeping well, and there's been a lot of up and down in the middle of the night, and all kinds of things. And I can still reach through that because I've been doing this work for so many years and choose in a moment to just close my eyes and just take three breaths. Or I can choose to look out the window and just like let my eyes orient towards something in nature. What can I see? Ah, the sky, a cloud, a bird. You know, we have a lot of animals on our land and I can look at our animals. It's like these, these little kind of micro moments. And for me, the micro moments have proven really, really helpful because they're cumulative. You know, I would rather have 10 little micro moments of rest every day than one 30 minute practice a week. Like that is just way more nourishing to my system. And that's something that really helps me. The other piece that I just wanted to add to kind of touch on what you were bringing up before is that part of, part of why all of this is so hard, again, is because of our programming, it's because of our conditioning, all these things, but it's also really hard to do this work outside of a community and outside of like having one other, even just one other person in your life who's doing something similar. And so one thing that I often suggest is to find 
a rest buddy, to find a partner, whether that's your life partner, whether that's a friend, whether that's, you know, a practitioner that you see, whoever it is, but just find someone who you can check in with, even if it's just a simple voice note once a week or just something to be like, hey, I'm on my rest journey. Here's what I did this week. Here's what worked. Here's what was really hard. I think that the like having connection and community around this work is key. It is so, so hard to go against the grain alone, right? And we're not meant to. Like we are meant to be in community connecting with each other. And so there's actually a whole section in the back that offers like a little bit of a prescription for sharing this work in community. And so you can look at that if you have the book or you can just, again, call a friend, but just find a way to have some kind of connection around your rest practice. It's going to take your practice so much deeper and so much farther. Mm, Thanks for bringing up that point. It's so true. And one other thing I want to talk about is the breath, because you are a breathwork teacher. And for many people, when they're experiencing chronic stress or anxiety, the breath can be um, really shallow and maybe can actually, when doing breath work or focus on the breath, make somebody even more maybe anxious or self-conscious about the breath. So for somebody who might be experiencing like maybe that shortness of breath, what would you recommend? Would you recommend maybe a breath work that's targeted for that? Or would you actually say, no, let's like move the body or let's, I don't know what, where does your brain go when you hear of someone who might be experiencing discomfort with the breath and breath work? Yeah. So there's so it's, you know, part of it is based on the individual. And this is definitely something that I used to see a lot, especially when I was deep in private practice. And, and because I worked in the trauma space, there was so much around trauma in the breath that would come up and you know, so there's, and there's so many different strategies and there's so many different kind of practices, but I would, I often will check in with folks because, you know, people are different. Some people are more oriented toward, oh, the movement is really helpful. Some people are less oriented towards movement. And so really looking at like what's working for you. One thing that I kind of do suggest across the board is nature, just with the capital N. So whether that's getting outside whether that's even looking at a picture of nature, looking at a plant in your house. Like, again, it can be as accessible as possible. There's some fascinating research out there that shows just looking at a picture of nature (laughs) has like some pretty incredible effects on how we breathe in our brain and our body. So, you know, by all means, if you can get to the real thing, beautiful. And if you can't in a moment, then look at it, look at a photo or look at a picture. But getting out in nature. And the other thing that I often suggest for folks who are having, you know, big kind of struggles with anxious breathing is to do less focusing on the breath. And so from a trauma-informed perspective, you know, movement, like you suggested, is one option. Another option, like for right now, me, I'm sitting in my chair. And so for folks with a lot of anxiety, I would have them, my legs are crossed, uncross their legs and just place their feet on the floor. And so instead of focusing on the breath, Now we're going to bring our awareness to the soles of our feet. And then we just do that, right? So a lot of times breathwork practices go straight to the breath. We're like, okay, extend your exhale or do a four, seven, eight, four, six, seven breath or whatever it is, you know, all these different tools and practices, which are really great. But when we're having anxiety, often it's better to look out to nature or to look within our own body to find where else we can ground ourselves. Because what happens, and this is what's so beautiful about how our bodies work, is that if we can feel our feet, 
if we can orient our bodies, get our bodies really comfortable, get them feeling good, oftentimes what happens is the breath will spontaneously shift without us having to do something to it, right? Without us having to be like, okay, now I need to really focus on my breath. It's like, just focus on your feet. Okay, place your feet down. Notice the soles of your feet making contact with the floor. Maybe notice your hips in your chair, your back support, right? Just paying attention to those points of contact. And then after you've done that for a few minutes, then return to your breath. Now notice what's happening with your breath. It shifts. Mm. Yeah, great, great. I um a couple of days ago I did a three-hour breath. I was a I was a participant in a three-hour breath work workshop, and we did this wild, almost Wim Hof esque, really intense breathing. And I think we were in this breath practice for like at least forty-five minutes. And I had never done that specific style of breathing before. And I was laying there, and I remember thinking, I was so in my head, like, "Am I doing this right? Um, what you know." what what am I looking like right now? Like we had to make sounds. Are my sounds sounding weird? I was very like in my head for the first few minutes of the of the thing. And then I was like, just do the breath and see how I, f- just do the work. Kind of just like stop thinking, just do. And I realized once I just got into a flow and I stopped caring so much about, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Am I looking crazy? Am I sounding weird? After I, when I got away from those thoughts, there was so much freedom and space and joy and like took the deepest breath that I've taken in months I think and it was so related to what was going on in my mind like when I dropped the shoulds and how do I look am I doing this right and so to me it it just reminded me like in life if we could just go through life not caring so much about, oh, what do I look like? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Maybe we can go through life being able to breathe more freely and deeply and spaciously and show up from a place of presence, aka restful attention and this like interwovenness of, yeah, how to breathe. Your two, your two books, how to breathe and permission to rest. Um, to me, it also really intertwines with what's going on in the head and what are the narratives am i fixated on what do i what do i look like or am i interested in what do i actually feel right now and so yeah speaking to you is just bringing all this together for me and i really appreciate it and um i hope that our listeners can can relate to some of this stuff <laughs> i'm sure they can mhm yeah for sure for sure You know, one piece that was coming up when I was listening to you just now is that, you know, so often I'll hear from people that, you know, you hear like, oh, taking care of myself is selfish or resting is selfish or like I can't give myself this, you know, whatever this is. And so, you know, I think that that's just always such an interesting comment or, you know, belief system. And, you know, one thing that I like to not to like pry at it or push it, but just to offer up is that again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, it's like we rest and we do these practices. It's not just for ourselves. Like we're doing them on behalf of the collective. We're doing them for each other. We're doing them so that we can then show up and, you know, model what maybe we weren't modeled growing up or kind of be a pillar in our community. If we're not seeing, you know, what it looks like 
for someone to like operate this way. And that doesn't mean, you know, for me that I'm, you know, perfectly rested all the time. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I'm not even in this. It's funny to, especially to be releasing this book at this particular season of my life. And, you know, it's a, you know, it's a book I've been working on for years, but I started writing, writing this book when I was a new mother and, you know, it's taken years to finish and, you know, come out into the world, but it was also this interesting challenge for me to go, okay, I'm, you know, what would it look like for me to just be a human writing this book, doing an imperfect practice and just sharing these tools and this research. And I think that's, that's really what it comes down to too. It's like, you know, none of this is about getting it perfect. And it's really just about having that daily ritual, that daily practice that we're returning to in whatever moments we remember, you know, and when we remember that's such a gift and that's such a blessing to go, ah, thank you. I remember to come home to myself right now. What do I need? And I love that you asked that question, like, what is it that I need right now? And that is going to look different for all of us at different seasons in our lives. But we can take that breath or take that rest practice um, and just really allow that to shift things for us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, I would so much prefer to read a book, listen to a podcast, take a class, take a course, follow a a breathwork practitioner, an expert, a wellness person who is a human being as well and is going through shit as well and then navigating life in the same sense that I am. You know, I don't want to uh, ever present myself as like, I've got it all together, perfect human being without struggle. And I wouldn't want that from my teachers either. So I think it's amazing you put this book out with three children under five years old. I mean, I don't have children of myself, but I think it's going to be such a, if and when I do, it'll be such a a lesson on how to infuse little moments of rest in your day and presence. And yeah. And is it, do you feel, and this is like totally off topic and off morning ritual, but I want to ask it. (laughs) Do you feel like when you had your kid and you became a mother, did you unlock like a little superpower in you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I love the way you're phrasing that. And the answer is yes. I mean, it's undoubtedly yes. And it's happened in different ways with each of my children. But it's, it's a, you know, it's a threshold that I crossed becoming, becoming a mother and continuing to become a mother. Like, I don't, I don't feel like arrived yet. I feel like with so much of my life, I'm in a constant state of, I shouldn't say constant, that's not the right word, but continual state of evolution and of change and growth and you know all these things and mothering is the same I mean there's so it's so fascinating I did a lot of research because I'm very research oriented I don't know if it's because I'm Aquarian or just that's just how I am but um, you know there's a lot of really fascinating research out there around the brains of mothers and how our brains change and the different centers that light up differently and for example like the intuitive centers of the brain like go kind of 10x when you become a mother and you know, and it's interesting. And then other like faculties of the brain get like, you know, like the parts of the brain that deal with like say organization aren't as strong as they were. So it's like so many things are changing and you're like, oh, I'm less organized. But then my intuition is like totally ratcheted up like to this incredible degree. And there are so many reasons for that. You know, it's like what we need with our kids is that intuitive play. We need to be, that's what's needed, especially when our children are young. And so it's, to me, it's just so amazing how our bodies just follow this evolutionary process and shift and grow and change. And I wasn't expecting the kind of um, 
like I was expecting the emotional and spiritual changes. I wasn't expecting as many of the psychological kind of brain shifts as that have happened. Um, and sometimes it's frustrating and other times it's like really incredible, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. That's so cool. Well, Listen, Ashley, before we like sign off, I do like to ask just some pretty easy to answer rapid fire questions to close off the conversation. Um, you up for that? Okay, cool. So are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning person. Great. And when you wake up in the morning, what's your go-to beverage? Um, typically, it's winter over here right now, and I'm still sipping on it. I have bone broth. Oh, great. Oh, that's, that's inspiring me. Um, okay. Lastly, if you could give your 25 year old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Mm, You can trust yourself. Love that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ashley, um, thank you so much for coming on and we will end the episode that we, the way that we always do with a full breath in a complete breath out and have a lovely day. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you.